Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Well, we are excited to be going back into the amazing world. Many, many people might say it's a little bit odd and quizzically uh, puzzling, shocking at times, hard to understand, twists and turns in the labyrinth of this philosophical world of dum, bum, bum, existentialism. And Nick Shalness says, are we back in that tunnel again? <laughs> like, oh, we just got out. Yeah, finally. we just got That's out. Cool. Thought, okay, we'll go back into that tunnel. Just one more <laughs> Just one more week. Yeah, just one more week to complete existentialism. I said we should break it up into two sections because there's really so much to say and to really to make clear. I want clarity to be the goal today and also relevance. So that's an old 1960s word. You know, be relevant. Uh, No, I want it to be practical because if it's not practical, why would we tune in anyway? And that's one thing about the Christian faith is that it's overwhelmingly practical. It's totally relevant because Christ is real. Christ is the way of eternal life. And as a matter of fact, Christ said that if you want to uh, surmount the absurd, and that was the, the sense that we read about in, and referred to in our summary last week, uh, the, the awful situation that Camus and Sartre and Heidegger and, uh, and even the Jewish scholar uh, Martin Buber, uh, when he wrote his uh, very famous works on existentialism, all these, and even the, the Christian existentialism, existentialists uh, in Denmark, uh, Kierkegaard, back in the mid-1800s, all of them were dealing with this problem of absurdity and despair. Because uh, whether you are a Christian facing a dead, dry orthodoxy, like Kierkegaard was, uh, he was um, raised in a Lutheran culture. Everything was very much regimented. Everybody was taught the same Lutheran doctrine, which was good doctrine, basically. You know, the, the Reformation had turned Denmark into um, a land in which Martin Luther's teachings were everywhere taught, but they were not everywhere lived out. It was like facts to be memorized at the age of 12 to be spouted back out, either verbally or on paper, mm-hmm. in order to take your, you know, um, first Lord's Supper. Yeah. Your Insert fir- Puritans. Insert Puritan. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's like the the parallel to the Puritans, in other words, in, in the U.S. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then they wanted to live it out. So they... Exactly. Okay. So, but what, what he was striving for was the, the moment by moment trust, the living relationship, the dynamic, the decision. And so maybe, maybe more than anything else uh, that I can bring out, the word decide is very, very existentialist in the feel. And you know what? 
the, even my professor, when I took my, the course on Hegel, Nietzsche, and existentialism at the beginning of my sophomore year, it was the fall of 1969, and Walter Kaufmann, uh, world-renowned scholar, one of the top three or four in the world at that time in existentialism, and as he was lecturing to us in his thick German accent, having been raised in Berlin and having just escaped literally just hours before the Nazis scooped up the young, bright Jewish men from the gymnasium, uh, he escaped uh, at the, just at the last minute and fled to the U.S. where he graduated uh, two years early from Harvard uh, with both his undergraduate and then his Ph.D. and was snapped up by Princeton just a year later in the mid-1940s. So Walter Kaufman was lecturing to us about this, this feeling, this sensibility, this uh, idea that existentialists were trying to capture what is uniquely human, what is authentic. And maybe that's another key word, is that if you're trying to understand existentialism, you're trying to um, really understand a group of people who wanted to get back down to what's really human and that breaks the mold on the scientific, brittle um, stereotype of what oh, humans are this or that, scientifically speaking. But, but the existentialists down deep, whether an atheist or a Christian, because there are the two sides of it, remember? Kierkegaard, to use the Danish pronunciation, uh, had the Christian side up and running before any of the atheist existentialists jumped in and began writing their, their famous works in the 20th century. So the, the existentialist, whether atheist or Christian, whether atheistic or theistic, is trying to get to the essence of the importance of the decision of the authentically human side of reality. That existence, okay, the fact that we are moment by moment having to make decisions, that we are moment by moment having, in the case of the Christian, a relationship with the real God and who is really reaching out to us. And we have to make a decision to ignore that reach or to respond to that reach. I love the, the, the famous uh, Peter Furler song, uh, which he, uh, it's, uh, it's on YouTube. I've shown that probably two or three dozen times to friends and family. And the, the name of the song is Reach. And the, and the, the, the famous lyrics has God uh, reach for us. He says, you reach for me with a love that quiets all my fears. You reach for me the way a father wipes away a child's tears. So many people in this world, but I hear you calling out my name. And that same reach that Peter Furler refers to in that Christian contemporary music song, um, which is so powerful in the lyrics, that dynamic is, is to some extent, at least on the Christian side of existentialism, is what uh, Kierkegaard was trying to bring out, I think, in his writings. That it's not a matter of memorizing facts, it's a matter of responding to a person. And that's where there is something of a redeemable quality, at least in the Christian side of existentialism. Now, what Kierkegaard did not get right 
in my view. If you read his writings, he wanted to somewhat, at least, he wanted to throw out the baby with the bathwater. What do I mean by that? Uh, he was so turned off by memorization of not just so much Bible verses. He had nothing, he had no problem with the Bible. He was so turned off by the memorization of theological facts that it soured him on theology. And I think that's sad because theology, to the extent that it is summary, it is a weaving together of biblical truth, is something that should fire our hearts to greater passion for that relationship. So I think the very common critique, and I agree 100% with the critique, the, the critique of Kierkegaard, the Danish existentialist, is that he, he lost the sense of the power of good, warm, biblically fired theology to draw our hearts back to God and to literally um, catapult us to a new level of passion and commitment and living for God at a new level. So I'll just say that. That's my editorial for the day. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. I think so. So now we're ready to kind of go back into the uh, Jim Sire summary. I'm going to kind of repeat very, very quickly some of the points, and we're ready to then add to them to get to the uh, total of seven, because each of these world views, each of these Weltanschauung, as they call it in German, world perspectives, you might say the world religious points of view, uh, has defining key foundational points, and that's what we're trying to understand. And we're here referring not to the Christian, which is almost never seen nowadays, but the atheistic side of existentialism. So to repeat, to kind of recap from last week, number one, the cosmos is composed solely of matter, but to human beings, reality appears in two forms, subjective and objective. And of course, the the big point there is that um, the existentialist recognizes that there is a scientific or objective uh, understanding, but he really wants to stress the subjective, the personal, the world of mind, of consciousness, of awareness, of freedom, of personal stability. And that's that inner awareness of mind that is the uh, constantly present reality. And so... um, he points out, Jim Sire points out, unless there are extraterrestrial beings, a possibility most existentialists don't even consider, we would then be the only beings in the universe who are self-conscious and self-determinate. He adds this comment, the reason we have become that way is past finding out, but we perceive ourselves to be self-conscious and self-determinate, and so we work from these givens Science and logic do not penetrate our subjectivity. But that is all right, because value and meaning and significance are not tied to science and logic. We can mean, we can be valuable, or better, we can mean, and we can be valuable. You see that? So it's the we that really is discovered to exist, the personal mm-hmm. dimension. And you say, what, what's the big deal? I mean, did other people were de- denying or 
discounting the personhood? Yes. That's what the scientific world and nihilism, which grew out from it, kind of the, the, the grisly downside of the scientific viewpoint, was doing just that. So this is like a rebellion. This is like an atheist saying, okay, I don't want to be an atheist any longer. Okay, I have to be because there is no God, but I assert that there's something there. Mm-hmm. You see, you just, you just, just see call that. it something else. <laughs> yeah. I'll call it the 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 meism. Mm-hmm. I'll call it the personism. I just coined that. Do you like that? Oh yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> In other words, there's personality, and so that's something. You know, there's there's a decision making ability that we have, and and I assert that that is valuable. Okay, so that's point one. Point two. In this makeup. Uh, Human beings alone exist for for human beings alone. Existence precedes essence. People make themselves who they are. And we were explaining last time that uh, to exist comes first before you can even philosophize about it. And so I am. Oh, wow. You mean I am? And that means I'm making decisions? Yes. And then the personal existence and to exist is to decide. And so I'm going to just insert there the decision aspect. Number three, this is a quick uh, repeat from last week. Number three, each person is totally free as regards their nature and destiny. Of course, this is kind of asserted without proof. They just kind of sense, you know, kind of they um, they have this freedom to decide. They have a genuine destiny and they they assert that against, for example, B.F. Skinner. You may have heard of B.F. Skinner, the psychologist who uh, um, was um, really known for having very weird psychological experiments. He would put children. Probably have. He would put, he's behaviorist, one of the great behaviorist psychologists. He would put babies and children in these little boxes and do experiments with them. Oh, wow. He was not very much uh, applauded for that. Doesn't sound like it. No. Yeah, he was a bit weird. Uh, professor at Harvard. Um, Harvard, the, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that figures. <laughs> yeah, B.F. Skinnerism. Sometimes they call his philosophy. Anyway, so his determinism is uh, is quite famous. Basically, uh, you are the result of certain inputs. So what comes out in the way of your actions is the result of what is input to your being, and 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 so you really have no decision. In it, it's just like a certain inputs automatically produce certain outputs. You're like a machine. How's that uh, for elevating your sense of of yeah. worth? <laughs> not very encouraging. No, at it's all. not. So you see, the existentialist rebels, even the atheist, and of course that's what we're dealing with here. That, that sounds a lot like what Sam Harris writes about uh, your your actions kind of preceding your actual thinking. Okay, so, it's, it's, so his, Sam Harris, one of the new atheists. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Could be, could be a, a new atheist existentialist. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot a of times it's just a mixed bag. Right. It's okay. similar, similar philosophy. Okay. Well, moving along, point four in the existential uh, what-do-they-believe list. Uh, the highly wrought and tightly organized objective world, okay, that's kind of like the scientific view, stands over against human beings... It appears absurd. We mentioned last week how they love the word absurd. The theater of the absurd. And you can actually be entertained. I mean, there's a lot of entertainment value in existentialism by just going and Googling or YouTubing absurd. <laughs> okay. There's actually a, um, a, a tennis match 
uh, a certain uh, existentialist-influenced author in the Czech Republic had a tennis match where they, they actually um, were playing tennis. And you know what their tennis, uh, as they were actually, it's an indoors tennis match. And you know what they were doing as they hit the ball across the, the net? What's that? They, they had to ask a question. And then the other person to hit the ball back had to ask another question. But they would never answer the question? They you would, would never answer the question. Just You'd have asking. to respond with another question oh, and then another question. And if you blew it, you would then make a statement. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then the point went to the other person. It oh, is wow. absolutely hilarious. The name of that is Rosencrantz and Gilderstern are dead. It's, oh, an, it's, a, it's a famous. I, some of my friends read it in college, okay? <laughs> it's very existentialist, okay? <laughs> very entertaining, okay? Believe it or not, it's on YouTube, complete with the guy who's playing tennis. Okay, that's your random fact for the day, okay? <laughs> Point number five, we're moving along. In full recognition of and against the absurdity of the objective world, the authentic person must revolt and create value. Here's we reach the, the action point. The authentic, okay? Authenticity, that's the key in existentialism. To reject against the absurdity and to show that I am truly authentic and I'm rebelling against this world of objective, you know, scientifically determined facts, the authentic person must revolt and notice, create value. Now, do you remember, this is a quiz from last week. Uh, Nick, I know you were paying close attention. There was a certain atheist guy named Sartre, a French existentialist. Mm -hmm. And when I pulled up existentialism, it even said Sartre's, the, the French ex atheist existentialist philosophy is so important, you could even summarize existentialist philosophy as Sartre's philosophy. Do you remember what amazing thing he did at the end of his life, literally days or weeks before he died? What shocked yeah. the world? Yeah, he had uh, virtually a deathbed uh, conversion to Christ, <gasps> so. which I did not know until you brought that up, so that's really interesting that was pretty fascinating yeah wasn't it? absolutely and and jim sire himself recounted that detail when he was lecturing here on the trinity college or very close we had him here teaching universe next door uh the whole worldview uh, course and so even this is really what's thrilling even the great existentialist perhaps the greatest of all time you know leaving out kierkegaard the greatest and most famous and most significant according to the stanford philosophical encyclopedia uh, Sartre himself, Jean-Paul Sartre, turned to Christ in the waning days of his life, embraced the Christian faith, and said goodbye to the false authenticity. He found authenticity in Christ himself. And I think that's the invitation. Anybody listening to this program, if you want to really reject the absurd, to triumph of the absurd, it's not just by, as it says here on page 100, of this great book, uh, The Universe Next Door, Sires, and summarizing the atheist brand of existentialism says, you know, the, uh, the existentialist uh, recognizes absurdity and must revolt and create value. Sartre did that through his earlier writings. Mm -hmm. Even C.S. Lewis, remember, had read that book. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, where he says <clears throat> existentialism is a humanism. He was trying to bring it in the orbit of humanism. Mm -hmm. And Lewis said he didn't, he didn't think much of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he wasn't really impressed. Yeah, he had some not-so-nice words. That's right. Yeah, he had some, some, some uh, let's say, minimizing words for that. But then he found that he didn't have to create value. He, ha he found value in the creator 
of the universe. He found value in the, in the sacrifice that Christ had made on the cross. He found value in establishing that relationship through an act of repentance and faith. I just think that, is, as, as we were saying, one of the great deathbed uh, conversions uh, stories. It was uh, literally, I think it was about a week before he died, and, and his, uh, his girlfriend just went ballistic. And in that uh, left-wing newspaper that reported this, she basically scowled and said, yes, I will not go near his grave. Yeah, I am wow. in a state of perpetual uh, defiance of this horrific act that he perpetrated. <laughs> I am so mad. <laughs> it was kind of like, okay, you, you too need to wake up and smell the roses, you know, my dear. So um, at the end of this whole um, discussion of existentialism that I find very fascinating in the, the entry on existentialism in the Philosophical Encyclopedia. It even says existentialism may be defined as the philosophical theory which holds that a further set of categories governed by authenticity, by a norm of authenticity, is necessary to grasp human existence. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So the key word, again, according to Stanford uh, and their approach, uh, their, their take on this, 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 this philosophical system is authenticity. And then quoting Walter Kaufman himself, my professor in college, to approach existentialism in this, in this way may seem to conceal uh, what is often taken to be its heart, namely a character, uh, as a gesture of protest against academic philosophy, a, a flight from this so-called iron cage of using reason and reason alone. But while it's true that the major existential philosophers wrote with a passion and an urgency uh, that is not really common in our, in our era, uh, one, one realizes that the, uh, the important themes is that they're, dre they're all reacting against dread. They're reacting against boredom, alienation, the absurd. And they're striving for, for, for something called freedom. They're striving for something called commitment. They're striving for a genuine decision. And so I think that whenever we recognize that, I think the notion of a decision today I think that Billy Graham, you know, the the ultimate, you know, famous famous graduate of this college, where our our, our program is is recorded every week, Trinity College of Florida, is that the commitment to Christ, the decision for Christ, is is something that is based on truth, and truth is not something that we create. Um, nihilism, the sense of nothingness, the sense of no personal basis, you know, for um, making a decision is, is smashed, it's, it's pulverized, it's um, literally dealt the death blow by the, by the message of Paul to the philosophers. When he came to Athens, he met with them, he dialogued with them, and they said, we want you to address all of us. And what did he make known? He made known first the fact of creation. He spent about literally half of his address, as far as we know, saying God is the one that created all of you in his own image. We are literally in our offspring, 
status as, as God's children, you know, in, in, at least in our nature, but not in our very moral nature because we're rebels. And he even speaks of the final judgment that's coming. And the way to escape the judgment is to trust in the judge. The judge is Christ. But the Christ who is the judge was put to death for our sins. And God says to those philosophers, he lives forever. He's the one that lives to save you. And he's the one that lives to give you authentic and not absurd existence. Well, that's the message from the triumph that Christ delivers to all of us. Thanks for listening to The Universe Next Door. We'll see you back here next week. You've been listening to The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Society and Trinity College of Florida and supported through the gifts of listeners just like you. To gather resources, continue the conversation, and support The Universe Next Door with your financial gifts, go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. And join us again next time as we continue to seek the truth about life, faith, and worldview in the universe next door.